0: I didn't want to help a person get a promotion if they were not engaged in the local church. Yeah. I I think that's just a profoundly hardening habit to advance yourself vocationally, but yet not be engaged in the body of Christ. And yet immediately, it may seem like you've been successful, you've accomplished something, but Long-term, I think you're losing in God's economy. You're losing big time. You really need to start with
1: your relationship with the Lord. Welcome to the Redeeming Productivity Show. This is the show that helps Christians get more done and get it done like Christians. And I'm your host, Reagan Rose. Well, I'm excited to be joined today by Dr. Greg Gifford. He's the assistant professor of biblical counseling at the Masters University. He's also a certified biblical counselor and ordained pastor, and he's previously served as a captain in the United States Army. And Dr. Gifford is the author of Heart and Habits, How We Change for Good. Dr. Gifford, it's great to have you on the show.
0: Thank you for having me. I look forward to it.
1: So I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. We have a mutual friend, James Parker, and we kind of have mutual stomping grounds, me coming from the, uh, the seminary and you over there at the Masters University. And I've been very excited about your work. I'm excited as I've dug into your book. And I think we're definitely uh, kindred spirits on some of this stuff so maybe we could start with you telling us a little bit more about yourself you have a family have a wife and kids that kind of stuff
0: yeah and i want to echo that too i actually found your work after i had already started some of the book and so as i was listening primarily to your podcast i was like oh my goodness we have to meet in some way it just it's too similar you know it's like we found each other we're brothers and then we just found each other after living an adult life here so yeah So. <laughs> It, it's good to be here. So let me just put myself in context. I do find that's helpful. So yes, uh, you know, my name's Greg Gifford, and live in Southern California with my family. So I have three kids, and then I teach full time at the university where I'm at now, and that's primarily in biblical counseling, but I'll do theology electives here and there, and then I also serve at my local church, which is where I'm an elder and a pastor that oversees counseling and life groups. So between those like family, the university, and church, I have plenty going on.
1: You sound like a busy guy. Very much uh, in need of uh, productivity. I need productivity help. (laughs) That's what I need. (laughs) So one of the things I I think is interesting is uh, I was saying before we hit record that you coming at habits from a biblical counseling angle. That's something that's always been on like the periphery of my mind. Um, is that the way we think about productivity and what we get done, it really has a lot to do with some of the topics that we, we help people with when we're doing biblical counseling. And so I wanted to hear a little bit from you, how you even got into biblical counseling to begin with,
0: um, to begin with, I have a Bible bachelor's degree, and so that almost like I was just gonna say I have a Bible. That's what I thought you were gonna say. I was like,
1: okay, it's gonna be really stark
0: Very insightful, Greg. Thank you. <laughs> no, I have a, I guess the better way, I have a bachelor's, and the major was Bible, so what took place is, long story short, some neighbors of mine knew that, and they knew that I had worked for a church, but Uh, they didn't know that I wasn't very comfortable in helping with marital counseling. So what they did is they just came to me and said, Hey, we're we're kind of in a tough place. We don't really know what to do. What's the best step. We know that you're a Christian. We know that you've been a ministry. Can you help us? And through that, I found that, yes, I had taken the languages. I had taken theology. I had taken my surveys, Old Testament and New Testament, but I hadn't, I hadn't been trained in how to minister God's word practically. So that's where I just wanted to get more training on how to do that. And I didn't know if it would be a career or a class or a book. And long story short is that's really what set me on the trajectory to just get trained in how to use the Bible to minister to people. So now you fast forward, that was probably 15-ish years ago. So you fast forward now to where that's what I do. That's kind of the world I live in. It's just biblical counseling. How do we take God's word and minister it to people who are in need of care?
1: it occurs to me that a lot of people who are listening or watching this might not even be familiar with what biblical counseling is like how that's different from either just talking to a pastor or going to like a a psychiatrist or something
0: yeah that's probably right and i don't you know as i listen to your podcast i can't help but think that there are those that are sensitive or appreciative of god's word so us as your audience are wanting to know like hey what does god's word say on this and really what biblical counseling tries to do is to just answer god's word in the daily milieu of your life and kind of the particularities maybe the troubles or problems or relational difficulties so it's just trying to do the same thing that you're doing with productivity and habits of the big picture and then maybe zooming in towards okay how does it apply to this particular situation
1: i was uh listening you did a a podcast with i can't remember the name of it but it's one that the university puts out um and you quoted uh, John MacArthur, where he said something about biblical counseling is just helping people to form good habits. That was really interesting. Maybe could you elaborate on that a little bit, the relationship between habits and how we help people to grow?
0: Yeah, sure. When I heard that, so the, the context is that Dr. MacArthur was in chapel, and I think it was 2017. I'd have to look at my notes. But uh, he was just asked about biblical counseling. And he said, you know, really what biblical counseling is, is, is just... Facilitating in the counselee forming good habits. And what he was saying is not that it's reductionistic or that everyone's problems are just really easy to solve, but that a lot of times what you'll find is in the counseling process, there are some fundamental habits that are non-existent. Mm-hmm. Things like engaging in Bible in some way, memorization, meditation, reading engaging in a local church in a meaningful way. And if those habits, for instance, are missing, then it's gonna just sow this harvest of destruction in a person's life. So in a sense, part of the process of a counselor's job is to facilitate in that habit development with the person they're meeting with.
1: And so like, even as we think about these things biblically, I think like you hear the word habit and like things jump to my mind, and I think probably a lot of listeners too, you, you think about um, some of these secular books on habit growth. And I'd imagine that some of that comes into play, but but maybe this is a good question. Biblically speaking, what what is a habit? How would you define a habit? And I think that's the tricky part of, about
0: habits, and, and really that's going to be true in almost any category, is what's the definition? What are we defini- definitionally speaking of? What are we definitionally speaking of? So when we ask that question, most of the literature today is speaking about a regular frequent practice. That's the 2021 definition. So when I say form good habits, we're going to go to regular frequent practices that we do. Something that almost feels like a a compulsion that I don't even have to think a whole lot about it. I just kind of do it. It just Um, happens naturally, right? Right. Like you wake up and walk to the coffee pot first thing in the morning, you know. Um, But big picture, as I was studying this through and preparing for writing the book, the Puritans, so the English Puritans from the 17th century just spoke a little bit about habits. And one of the things that they said is it's also a character trait or also your your disposition Hmm. So they would speak of it in more of a classical way, somewhat like virtue. So in, instead of thinking of the regular or frequent practice, it would be more like the character traits that we would describe today. So interesting. would say faithful or diligent, hardworking, kind, those would be habits. And so the Puritans would just add a, another layer to that of Habits can also be the dispositions, the Mm -hmm. inclinations, which is where the idea of heart comes from, as I was talking about heart and habits. So on one side, frequent practices. On the other side, just think of dispositions, inclinations, character that leads to those practices.
1: It's interesting as you're saying that. um, I think even a lot of the secular literature on habits, like they eventually get there. Like They'll all say something like, who you are or who you become is related to your habits, and and they I think they see that as like um, maybe where it's going. But there does seem to be some acknowledgement of the the connection, the interconnectedness between who you are, your character, and what you do habitually. That you can't really escape that.
0: Amen. And I I think when you read a lot of the modern literature, it's like you're jumping into the middle of a conversation, which is the how to develop habits, but Uh, a good majority of it doesn't start with why do you develop habits in the first place or where do they come from? And so it's, it's like you're saying where there's a book that speaks to uh, your identity as informing your habits, but a lot of them just kind of jump into the type of habits you should have or how to develop habits, but don't really give you the reasoning for why you develop habits in the first place.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And like, I, I think that that's one of the things I really appreciate about your book and about your thinking on this is, I do kind of feel like if you picture like a timeline of like you picture habits like they're the way that secular authors talk about them it's without context like there's assumptions about how habits are formed that aren't really acknowledged um and i think that's probably because they don't really have a biblical anthropology that understand how we're composed but even like from a trajectory or like a tell us like a purpose that even that's assumed a lot of times that oh you, of course you want to have good habits because you want to make more money and you want to be healthier and you want to be better looking so you got to get those better habits in place but but the way you talk about them you expand in both directions you you talk more accurately I think about where habits come from how they actually work with how God's designed us and like where they're going? Like, what's the, what even is the reason for developing a habit to begin with? Is it, is it really just so you can be happier in life or is there a, a bigger picture? And so I want to touch on some of that with you. Cause like, I know that's like really big in your thing, but, but maybe start with like the, the, where does it come from? The heart, the heart part of it. Cause like if people could see the, maybe I'll put it up on the video portion of this, the, the cover of the book, it has heart and habits and you have these arrows, like hearts pointing to habits and habit is pointing to heart. And there's kind of like this implied, Uh, interconnectedness, as we talked about the habit part, what what a habit was, maybe talk about what, what is the heart? What even is the heart? I guess we should start there, biblically speaking.
0: I, so the cover is intended to be that branding of this is what the book is about. And if you look at the diagram, it's starting with the heart at the top and then moving toward habits. And when we talk about the heart from a biblical perspective, we're really talking about the center point, it's the control center of your inner man. Hmm. So biblically the the way that you could think of it is just kind of the seat of all the immaterial components of who you are, volition, love, affection, cognition, even that your heart, your immaterial heart is that control center. Hmm. So that's important to understand about people because Yeah, we can learn things unintentionally, but by and large, our actions, the frequent practices that we engage in, they're coming from somewhere and they're coming from a heart. So to get that anthropology right, our beliefs of people, we have to say, well, I can't just focus on the things that are coming out, those expressions. I have to focus on the source. I have to focus Mm -hmm. on where it's starting. And biblically speaking, it's starting in the heart. So understanding that I think is foundational for proper habit formation, especially for those of us that maybe we're just stuck. We're not seeing the growth we'd like to see or we thought change would come quicker. Well, we really have to understand how the heart works and how the heart connects to your habits in order to be faithful in the development of
1: our habits. That makes a ton of sense. You know, it's funny. I, I was just thinking about as you're saying that if someone didn't know you were talking about the heart, they could think they could pick this book up and think it was about like cardiovascular health or something, or like, <laughs> eating, eating whole wheat and uh, <laughs> using the stair step in the gym or something. And there's a book that says like uh, "Habits of the Heart" that's on
0: Amazon. I was like, oh great, someone's <laughs> gonna buy this. I think it's my book inevitably.
1: <laughs> and it was actually a book about heart, like physical heart <laughs> yeah, health.
0: that's right. It's like oh, eat yeah. more kale chips or something <laughs> like that. I'm like, oh man, come on. That's <laughs> important
1: too. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly different though, topic. A little different topic. Yeah. Um, the you talk about in the beginning of the book, you use this uh analogy or maybe it's a metaphor. I always get those mixed up, but you talk about like a fire and you use this this you talk about the fire about the relationship of the habits and the heart. Maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit because I'm gonna butcher it if I try to say it.
0: It really started uh one of the Puritans just was speaking about how God brings about change in our life. And he, he painted kind of this both and. And it, we understand that the way God sanctifies us toward greater holiness is not that I lie in a comatose state on my couch and God zaps me with more holiness through my inactivity. Yeah. We know that sanctification is God working through our spirit filled obedience to make us more like Jesus. So he uses that illustration with a fire, and he says that, you know, don't think that God is going to blow up the spark, make the flame bigger. Don't think that God's going to do that apart from your duties. Rather, God's going to give that spark, and you have to actively try to blow up that flame, fan the flame. And so the the idea is we can all resonate with that when we're camping and building a campfire that it really does take a lot of work to get it started to harvest the wood to get some kindling in place, but once the fire is going already. Then it's much easier to maintain and that's very much what changes like in our life if we have good and godly habits in place you'll see that change is often easier to sustain, easier to keep going than if there's no good and godly habits in place right now. Then it's like, we're, we got to go and harvest some wood. we got to go get some kindling to just get this thing started. So that was the attempt to just try to communicate that to the reader that they would see there is this both and. God has to give that spark of change. This is not us muscling it up and doing it on our own. But yet God works through your efforts to bring about change. And so that hopefully that resonates with the reader to a
1: certain degree. Yeah, I love that that description of the kind of the, the symbiosis there because you do you do I feel like you run into both things. You run into people who or I mean even even I'm saying other people, but even myself I'll think about it this time or this way. Like I I know something's not right, I know I'm not walking with the Lord as I ought to do but you almost feel like is it going to be legalistic for me to do this if i don't feel like it or should i wait for a zap from heaven to hit me you know like but you're saying there's sort of like this almost this flywheel and you just have to get started absolutely
0: and and i agree with that and and it's hard at times because we think am i being disingenuous to sit down and to read scripture today when that's not where my heart really is And uh, am I being disingenuous to go to church when I I really don't want to go this week? Um, And I would would argue, and I do argue throughout the book, that no, it's through your faithful, spirit-filled obedience that God changes your heart through your habits. And by going to church, God changes your desire to go to church. And by actually sitting down and practicing the habit of scripture reading, God changes your heart to want to do that more and more.
1: I love that. That's so helpful. I think people get hung up on that so much, or or maybe even, you know, even our sinful inclination look to it as an excuse. Like, well, you know, if the Lord really wants me to do this, um, then He'll He'll zap me. Yeah, I was at a uh, a, it was a retreat one time. I think it was in college, and the speaker at the retreat was a Christian thing. He said you know, you guys who struggle to read your Bible, um, you need to stop forcing yourself to read it. That's the problem. Put your Bible away until the Lord gives you a hunger to read it. And at the time I was like, so profound, what a great idea, a great thought. And it reeked, even personally, it wreaked spiritual havoc in my life because I followed the advice. And it wasn't until years later that I realized that's not good advice. That's not helpful. It's not. And, and that's, unfortunately, it's it's that tension
0: we live in, because I don't think individuals really are trying to get out of being obedient. And maybe that's just a benevolent perception of people. But I authentically believe people are just wrestling with what should I do? Is God really honored in me doing this if my heart's not in it? So it's it's that tension of, yeah, we must fight for the heart to be there, but don't
1: let your habits stop in the meantime. So what about like the purpose end of the, the spectrum? Like, why, why are habits important for Christians? What's the reason? It's not just to make me feel better, right? What's what's the end game?
0: So, as we said, the beginning is okay. Understanding the heart—that's the front game of of where do your habits come from. Uh, that's really built out of a biblical understanding of people, just trying to understand people as the Bible would portray them. And if we're going to be faithful in that, we have to understand that as people, we were created with a purpose. And our, our habit development really doesn't change or deviate from that purpose. And we were created to glorify God. And so when we talk about the end game of your habits, the first stop is that we would be better glorifiers of God, that we would be pleasing to him in everything that we do. So that's not different from other aspects of our humanity, but it's to say that it's, it's true also in habit development. So, Number one is glorify God. And, and I try to argue in the book for number two as being the good of other people.
1: Mm.
0: So it's, it's not the other person first. It's God first, then the other person. And then my tertiary goals, the things that might be productivity, vocational advancement, you think of educational success and accomplishment. Those, those are legitimate goals. And I would say even worthwhile goals if they are pursued in a way that represents, okay, God is first, doing good to others, loving them as myself is second, and then accomplishing my tertiary goals. So, yeah, be productive at work, but do it in that order. Do it to the glory of God for the good of people, then the success of, you know, whatever it is, your vocational sphere is what I would call it.
1: Yeah, you. Know, that's you talk about the spheres in the book and that, so that's, that it's basically like the order of the priorities that you should give to your habits too. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. So here, hear me out on this. Like, I I didn't want to help a person get a promotion if they were not engaged in the local church. Yeah. I, I think that's just a profoundly hardening habit to advance yourself vocationally but yet not be engaged in the body of Christ. And yet immediately, it may seem like you've been successful. You've accomplished something. Uh, you've been more productive. But long-term, I think you're losing in God's economy. You're losing big time because it's God's overt will for you to be connected to a local church. So I, in order to provide a prioritization, that's just where the spheres came from, is yeah. to help people think through. Yeah, you can't start with your vocational habits. You really need to start with, your relationship with the Lord.
1: Man, that's so interesting. That that's something, honestly, I think about all the time as I produce stuff. Having new with productivity is like, I, if you practice these things, you will most likely experience earthly success. But like, I always worry that people are going to almost like a prosperity gospel approach that they're just going to be like, oh, here is, you know, people publish these books like biblical principles for leadership, biblical principles for, for making money and biblical principles for productivity. Oh, these work because they're from the Bible and use it almost as a utilitarian thing is, oh, these are from the Bible. So they work and they're going to make me successful, but miss the whole point, which is God's glory, which is if you if you glorify God with your life and experience no earthly success you've won if you experience tons of earthly success and you never glorify God you totally amen. missed it
0: yeah amen i think that's a great point and that's going to be the fight that i think you're you're leading because it, you know we look to you for those productivity tips It's just making sure that your offspring, you know, like your ideological offspring aren't taking productivity and flipping it first and saying, you know, how do we get it done like productive people instead of Christians or however that misprioritization could happen, but I, I still think it's a necessary conversation so you know there's there's dangers to the left and right perhaps. But yet uh, it's a necessary conversation because right in the middle of that, you have these Christians that really do want to honor the Lord and want to do it in a way that is biblical, but they really don't have resources on how to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I thought was interesting is when when James was telling me about you working on this book and talking about the fact that you're looking at the Puritans, is that's always something that's fascinating me is because they seem to have a, a different way of thinking about the Christian life than kind of the modern evangelical does. There was a, um, I don't know if holistic is the right word, but they viewed their lives as going somewhere where sometimes I, f- I feel like we, we put off this vibe that it, you get saved and then you kind of do the, whatever you want to do, make sure you're going to church at least. And then eventually you get to heaven. Um, is, is that sort of like what you were seeing as you studied them and looking at them in this topic? And that's partly why
0: I went to them is because of that, that Bible based worldview and you know that we we are talking about how we perceive ourselves and it definitely seems to me that the theologians of the 17th century that they were they were thinking specifically uh, down into the weeds about repentance and church life and habits but biblically and so their their worldview was saturated with the Bible and understanding what they were looking at in this world through the lens of scripture. So it it makes perfect sense to me why they were so engaging and why they're still so engaging 400, 300 years later is because we're now, we're now fascinated by
1: people who can take the word of God and make it apply to our daily life. So you also have, it's not all like theology in this book, which is helpful. You need to, you need to have the theological understanding, but you get into like really practical, you get basically like a checklist. And so let's say someone's listening to this or watching this and they're a believer. They feel like they're stagnating. They want to start honoring God. They want to see change in their life. Where do they begin? What, what's like the next step? What is the first thing they do? It's funny. Cause
0: My original goal for the project was that it would be two parts. And I wanted the first half of the book to be heart. And so it was going to be part one, heart. And then the last part of the book was going to be part two, habits. And I submitted it to the editor that way. And he was like, bad idea, Greg. Like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit so neatly together. And I was like, man, you're looking the dream crusher here. So the way that that works then is that practically in the book, I start with heart and trying to establish a basis. But then I move to specifically the how of it all, which is the habits. I try to provide everything from prioritization to types of habits to consider, and uh, even a checklist for how to develop habits. Hmm. So the person that's maybe waffling a bit, maybe they're, they're totally on board intellectually, I would say, hey, it's probably the latter half of the book that would be more helpful to you because you can jump in and just get some of the mechanics and the person that maybe is a bit more intellectual and they're hesitant to actually develop a different habit or work on something practically, then I would say they can't just stop at the beginning of the book. They need to get to the end of the book as well and and pick a particular area where they need to grow in glorifying the
1: Lord. That is an interesting point that there are people on both sides of that spectrum. Um, that can happen with with myself, honestly. With I get into the theology of how this stuff works and it's fascinating to me, but... Then there's kind of like the speed bump before I actually put it into practice, you know? And so you can well, absorb these great books and say, great point, great point. I should do that and then never do it. <laughs> and I think on the other side, we're probably
0: more minded in results and just give me a quick tip and, you know, like give me the reader's digest so I can just get it done.
1: Yeah.
0: And in that, for that reader, and that's particularly where I'm at, you know, I'm just trying to ransack it, and get the information, and then keep moving. I think it's important for us to hear that the theology of it all is is uh, just as important to the practice of it all so that you really do need to spend some time thinking through why you develop habits and the purpose of habits in the first place before you jump into um, working on your email habits.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You got you to gotta have that foundation. Otherwise, there's no there's no point, like you know, we we're using the analogy of the the front part, the theology, the understanding who you are and understanding where you're going, and it totally is the case. Like I have a, I have a buddy who, um, he always tells people that my blog and my podcast are about life hacks, and I always just grinds my gears because it's not about life hacks. Like life hacks, you know, are like those simple like tips and tricks to That's help right. you get through your inbox. It's like <laughs> Like I want, I want that. I want it. I love that stuff. It's helpful. But apart from like the bracketing it and understanding of where we're, where we're from and where we're going, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it's not going to get you anything. It might make you a little more efficient, but you got to ask those bigger questions. Why am I being efficient? What am I saving this time for? What's the purpose of it all? And yeah, I, I just love your approach. And even talking about, you know, Doing it for God's glory and for other people's good, you know the 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 first and second, the two greatest commandments uh, Jesus said. Um, that's so critical to what what we're trying to accomplish in this life. Um, kind of the way way my mind's been going as I study productivity and study this stuff and trying to understand it more, is I think about it very much in the sense of the biblical category of good works. You know that you're. The way that we bring God glory is through good works, and those biblically are construed in lots of different ways. It's, it's of course, not what saves you, but it's what, um, after you are saved, it is what God has prepared for you to walk in. And that has really shaped my thinking a lot, and even as I've backed into understanding how those fit into the first and, and second greatest commandment. And I just think it's interesting. I don't think I have a question here. <laughs> I just think it's interesting about how it, it does – I feel like as you try to trace these things back to what are the biblical categories, it comes down to just several very simple things, you know? Like it, it is, it's, it's very simple. I'm here to glorify God and I do that by obeying him, by, by honoring him, by serving other people in his name. Yeah, no, it, here's the thought with that.
0: I think productivity blesses mm. other people. And now, granted, like everything that you and I may do may not be the most productive part of our day. I think of like the times we're playing with our kids and we're just sitting next to them, tinkering with something. I could be accomplishing emailing, writing, building. You could be podcasting, writing, working on the website. But in that moment, what we're doing, that inactivity with our children is the most productive thing. And it has profound results in their lives if we're godly dads to them. So there's this, this blessing that comes from us being God honoring, good oriented, productive people towards those that are around us. And I find just a, a silly illustration, I use it in the book is, you know, if you borrowed the company van after I used it, and I was unorganized, uh, there's trash all over the van, you can't find the log, the gas tank's uh, empty. I mean, instead of me having habits of organization and habits of consideration for others, I've just created more work for you and probably put a strain on our relationship in the process. So, so our productivity <laughs> really is a good work of doing, yeah. of how we interact with others. You know,
1: No, it makes so much sense. Yeah, it's funny. I think about it like, um, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of like uh, I try to get into the systems and the nitty gritty and you do this and then this. And you know, I think it's helpful to have frameworks for how you prioritize, how you kind of fit your life together. But one of the things that has occurred to me again and again is, you know, back to that topic of, of character is I can't always judge what the most productive thing is to do right now is like, I don't really know. Like you said, with, with your kids, like I can't run some calculus to decide, um, should I play with him for five minutes or six minutes? Cause then that, that I could redeem that one minute and I could be studying the Bible, but so much of the, the simplicity of it and making the right choices and, and doing, being a good steward of this life, it just comes down to where your heart is at. What's your, what you're trying to do, and am I seeking to honor the Lord and everything? And it's amazing how things just start to fall into place with how you prioritize your life when you focus on that. Totally agree. Absolutely agree. So what's next for you? I know, I know you've written some things on PTSD. Um, right. Are there other topics you want to get into?
0: Yeah, I, I've i just kind of had on the back burner for a while a, um, a book about how we see God really transforms how we live our lives and trying to connect the dots to a person's perspective of God and how having a right understanding of God through a right understanding of the Bible is transformative. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I'm tinkering. We got biblical counseling projects going here and there, videos that we're working on. So maybe in due time, I'll get to work on some of that next.
1: Well, it sounds exciting. Uh, The book is Heart and Habits, How We Change for Good by Dr. Greg E. Gifford. Where's the best place for people to find that book and to keep up with you?
0: Yeah, Amazon, or they can go to heartandhabits.com. Either of those, they'll be able to find me.
1: Excellent. Well, thanks for being with us, Dr. Gifford. This has been an awesome conversation. We'll have to have you on again sometime. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking about this kind of mutually shared interest at a deep level. Yeah, same. Thank you for having me. All right, take care, brother.
0: All right, bye-bye.